You're listening to the Merged Marketing Podcast with me, Jason Hunt. The mission with this show is to discuss all things marketing, sales, and mindset. It's my hope for entrepreneurs like you to get the most from your efforts so that you can focus on what you do best. Let's go. Hey guys, this is episode 127 of the Merged Marketing Podcast. And in this episode, we are going to geek out on content marketing. I'm talking to James Shear, who's the VP of Growth of Codeless, a content marketing agency working with unicorns like Monday.com to drive growth through content at a huge scale. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or small business owner or work even with a medium-sized business, you are still going to want to listen to this episode as we are going to talk about some of the tactics that James is using for those big 10-figure brands on the SEO side of the fence and doing content marketing. Um, It's an ever-changing industry, and we talk about the future of content marketing with James, where he sees things progressing as we continue to evolve in the digital marketing landscape. And I think you're going to be able to pull out some value bombs that you are going to be be able to implement in your own business today that is going to lead that are going to lead to results within the next quarter. So without further ado, let's kick it to my chat with James Shear. We are live. You're watching the Merged Marketing Podcast. You are listening to the Merged Marketing Podcast. This is episode 127 today. I'm here with James Shear and we are talking about content marketing secrets behind some of those big 10-figure brands. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. Looking forward to it. Definitely. And, and James is joining us today all the way from across the pond over in, where is it? Is it England or Wales? I'm in Wales, actually. Yeah. Wales, so that's I'm right. In that Cardiff, rural right? park that no one knows about. <laughs> that's it. There you go. Awesome. Um, to, it threw me for a loop because I didn't recognize an accent, but you've only been yep. there for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. I'm from awesome. Seattle. And uh, yeah, been here a little, little over a couple of years. Yeah. And that's where your company is based? No, so Codeless is completely remote. We don't have one person like in the same city at all. So it was started in the U.S. in Colorado, and the majority of our staff and full-timers are in the U.S., but we have people over the world, and all of our freelancers are like properly all all of the world. So there's about 25 like core staff that are spread out throughout, and then 75-odd freelancers now, which constantly hiring more to just kind of create the content that we're all about. Nice. Uh, let our audience know who is James Shear and, and what led you to where you are today. James Shear is the VP of Growth at Codeless. Uh, Codeless is a content marketing agency, uh, kind of upper tier. We target primarily enterprise um, SMB to enterprise, but like a lot of what we do is high volume, really high quality SEO ranked content. Um, my background, so I graduated with an English degree into a world that was like, we don't need that um, <laughs> back in 2010. So um, I kind of went straight into marketing and fell haphazardly and serendipitously into content um, and found that, oh, there's something that I can do with this English degree as well as a fascination and interest in, in digital marketing. And that was at a startup in Vancouver, Canada. And I went from kind of writing to editing, editing to head of inbound and uh, head of inbound to uh, VP of growth this past January. So, um, Working for a few different companies, most recently, all about Codeless, which is, again, an agency devoted to driving growth through content for serious brands who know the value of it and are happy to invest. Nice. Amazing. So I guess the first question I want to ask, what are some of the big differences that you see 
in the content marketing landscape between some of those smaller businesses and smaller brands to those big brands, the 10 figure brands? What what is the big difference between the two in terms of your approach? So in general, it's like with any kind of marketing strategy, the main difference between the enterprise level and the smaller or startup kind of um, approach is one scale and B, how well you do all of the things. So the majority of startups and small businesses, they're not, they're aware of the best practices and they follow them as best they can. Um, but when it comes to content optimization, uh, production value, all of that kind of stuff, they do as much as they can within their kind of resources. Enterprise level companies do all of those things for every single piece across the board. And I think that the primary takeaway there is for smaller businesses as well is even if it means you're doing fewer, focus on quality because you're not going to get anywhere with low quality, even at volume. Um, so that's kind of a core quality difference. The scale thing, there's a the constant conversation around quantity versus quality within the content marketing space. And I'm one of those people who's kind of on the fence. I have seen a lot of businesses succeed by publishing a high volume of, 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 of reasonably good content and seeing what of that sticks against Google. And this is kind of where I'm at right now. This is my philosophy currently, is publish significant volume of content and then see what Google naturally likes. Because as long as you're optimizing across the board, I can't tell you after years of experience within the field that that piece of content is going to rank versus that piece of content. Um, so you create a high volume of it, see what Google naturally likes. And then once that kind of category of content or subject matter um, clicks double down on it for other pieces, because that's what your domain is going to become known for most quickly, which is why I recommend all businesses across the board create multiple like categories of content and then create it all at the same time. Don't focus one category for a quarter and then another one, then another one. Do all of it all the time, even if it's smaller volume. And when you say categories, could you be, um, could it be, for example, a, the list of services and those all broken down into separate categories and writing content for all those services to see which one's kind of that low hanging fruit that's getting the visibility? Yeah. I mean, I would say focus on three to five different categories of content for the first kind of year of creating it. Um, each category is, as you say, kind of just what do we most want to be found for on Google? Um, and you don't think about that in terms of keywords or even pillars, pillar pieces of content, but more like if you're a project management tool, you want to be found for project management in general, but also maybe productivity, maybe working from home and hybrid workspace kind of environments and how to improve those and work within your team to, to make those better. Um, so those would be categories of content. And then excuse me, within each one of those categories, project management would be kind of like your, your pie in the sky. If we rank first for this, like we can all retire kind of key phrase, those are your pillars. Um, and each one of your pillars has category focused, um, support content within each category, identify three to five pillars and then support them with shorter form, uh, still SEO oriented, uh, support content, internal linking, uh, to, to the pillars, but do the pillars first. And that's another key difference is a lot of brands, small business, especially, um, they're far more haphazard with their content strategy, enterprise level. You need to be extremely intentional with every single piece of content you create. You need to know what you're targeting, how you're going to support it, what you're going to do to promote it. And if it starts ranking, how are you going to double down on that success and that traffic that you're seeing from it? 
far more planning goes in, I would say, with enterprise level than, than startups who just feel like they need to just get it out there as soon as possible. Now, the, talking about actually some of the some of the strategies that you would deploy for a big brand, can you, I know we could talk here for hours about all the strategies yeah. that you would deploy. Um, but are there some uh, a strategy that maybe you know a small business owner or entrepreneur can deploy for their own business that you're doing for big brands that you're seeing those big results for? Absolutely, um, that would be the pillar and post strategy across the board, which I've seen really strong success with. Um, break it down now. So we, we have a uh, client, they're called Early Bird. They came to us with <clears throat> zero domain authority, really, I mean, like 30 or something. They didn't have a blog at the time. And we got together with them to brainstorm categories of content that they wanted to be found for. Uh, we identified three categories. And then in the first kind of quarter of work, wrote pillar pieces and support content for within each, each, each category. Now with them, they do kind of uh, financial gifting uh, an app or primarily focused to like parents and families to give to young people and, and minors within one of the, so the category that happened to click with them most was gifting. So financial gifting, tax complications and, 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 and uh, concerns around gifting financially, uh, uh, financial gifts. And I think the main strategy that we implemented there is not just early creation of the pillars, but also once that category clicked and we saw a few ranking URLs, not even necessarily the pillars, but we say, okay, this category, I have everything, we reviewed how its performance. And we say, okay, we're gonna double down on this in Q2. Um, so that's exactly what we did. What you need to remember whenever you're kind of creating content is that you need to keep an incredibly close eye on the performance of your previously published URLs because the links, internal links from existing ranking content are far more valuable than internal links from non-ranking content. So if you have a category of content that just happens to click and it's starting to rank on the first, second page of Google, then the links that you send to other related content within that category will build momentum far more quickly than internal linking from every single URL to every single URL. So relevant content published side by side with existing your highest performing content with internal links to it will increase the total category success. And then once you've exhausted all the key phrases, new category. Now, if I'm understanding this right, it's kind of like the skyscraper technique where you have mm -hmm. like you have like your one, you have your keyword cluster, you get that one massive yeah. post and then you're linking all these other blogs to that one post, which is like the, the king post. You know what I mean? Is that is that? Yeah, that's I mean, so, yeah, the, the, the pillar is definitely a king post But I do want to clarify for a lot of people since the since back like O'Brien Dean talked about the skyscraper strategy. I think a, mis a misunderstanding, or at least how it's currently working for me in the real world, is that the pillar itself, the skyscraper piece, doesn't need to be the most ridiculously long form, insanely invested piece of content. It needs to be good, it needs to be comprehensive, but it doesn't need to be like $5,000 worth of investment. Get it to a really good place, and then only when it starts ranking and seeing traffic, which it will do even if it's good, like, it'll start moving up the surf if you're, if you're literally getting intelligently and it's, and it's a really high quality piece. Then you can go back into content. And this is one of the main takeaways that I want people to understand. Optimization of content is the core of an enterprise level content strategy. And so those skyscraper pieces, those pillars don't need to be the most incredible piece of content in the world until they're getting traffic and until they're ranking on the first page. And once they are, 
then you can dive back back in, update them, add add content, add custom images, whatever you need to do. Um, but there's no point for me because I don't know from an ROI perspective that that pillar is going to rank organically versus that pillar. So I'm not going to invest tens, tens of thousands of dollars into, into, the, into the creation of those pillars. I'm going to make all of my content really good. And then when it performs, double down on it with my budget and my resources. That's awesome. How, how long or how often would you optimize a piece of content like that? Are you touching it? You know, are you touching it on a quarterly basis? Is it something you'll touch in once a year, update images, uh, add some additional text, copy? How does that work? So the optimization process is actually based on its performance. I mean, in general, things are rule of, a good rule of thumb to check your high traffic articles every quarter for sure and just make sure that everything is legit and there's no broken images and no broken links and stuff like that. Fine, that, that, that's maintenance. Maintenance is different from optimization. Optimization means that you're going in and actively improving a piece of content. And that's based on that URL's performance. So within Ahrefs, SEMrush, Moz, whatever, you're going to have the ability to see your URL's ranking position. Um, and any URL that's ranking between 11th and 30th position and has it for a high volume key phrase and has been for like three weeks or so, I would say is plateaued at that position. I call those 11th, just as a short form. 11th are those URLs that if I give this a little bit of love, will go to the first page. If I pay a little bit more attention to it and care a little bit more, drive some internal link, um, links, maybe spend a couple bucks on some backlinking from like high domain authority sites, um, I can go from 11th to 9th and suddenly I'm getting traffic. And that optimization is really helped by an SEO tool like Market News or Phrase or ClearScope or whatever that allows you to drop in URLs as well as the targeted key phrase and say this, and that tool will tell you this is what you're missing. You're missing this subject matter, this mom work account, maybe revise it. And then you make sure, okay, sweet. I've met the target score in those tools and I've also double checked my meta description and my backend SEO stuff is, is legit. And then I republish that URL or I update the URL. And then I wait and I see. And if it moves up the cert, we've done a fantastic job. Um, and that's kind of the core of once you've written significant volumes of content, probably nine months after your first piece is written, make sure you're double checking on a weekly basis to see if there's any 11s that could be optimized for search. Because as soon as you note them, if I can move you from 11th to 9th, for a high volume key frame, like that's far more rewarding from an ROI perspective than net new content. It takes me half an hour, 500 words of new additional content to that piece, and, I, and you're driving traffic. I'd much rather do that like every day, all day. So, James, you're working with big brands like Monday.com, right? You've mm -hmm. done some work with Monday, and, mm -hmm. and when you're doing competitive competitor research for a brand like that, um, how, what are you doing when you're looking under the hood to compare with competitors and take that first leap towards, uh, towards your program? How does that look, competitor research? So with money.com in particular, they, um, the system for topic analysis for them is, is extremely comp it's complex, comp comprehensive and complex. They are analyzing based on like a dozen different variables in order to identify the opportunity of every URL. They do that based on the CPC for that key phrase, they do that based on a kind of a, a je ne sais quoi intent gut feeling one to 10 score system, as well as the volume, as well as the competitiveness of the key phrase itself and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I do think that there's some legitimacy to that. There is definitely 
value in not just relying exclusively on volume search volume for a given key phrase. Also take a look at it and say how how important is that is ranking for that key phrase to our company, and what 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 do we see, you know what 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 is that going to do the reader what are the readers looking for and how can we address that with not just the content but also platform. Um, so they 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 have a far a very comprehensive topic um, analysis kind of process. Um, with them as well, uh, because when they came to us, they already had a domain authority of 79, I think, they're now about 85. Um, the process for topic identification is very different because they can go after far more competitive key phrases that are far more competitive um, than you know an early stage business can. That doesn't mean there's not content out there for early stage businesses in every single vertical. Like I work with businesses of all size and shapes, and um, there's always, there's literally always something, even if you have to stretch a little bit. Um, so I would urge businesses to make sure that the key phrases and the topics that you're going after align with your existing domain authority and like what is reasonable for you to rent for. Um, in general, if your domain authority or your domain ranking is like less than 50, I wouldn't target initially anything with higher than 30 KD. If you're between 50 and 75, you can go up to 50, 65 KD. And once you get above that, just, you know, the world's your oyster and you can just play around. Um, but do start structuring even your pillars based on what is legitimate for you to rank. Again, because as soon as you start ranking, even if it's low volume, the, U, the internal links from that content is far more valuable than a URL which is targeting something insane and not ranking. Linking to it and linking from it isn't going to be as helpful. It's not going to be building momentum in the same way that even low volume ranking URLs are. Great, a great example of that, I guess, would be you know our company. We're a digital marketing agency, and mm -hmm. you know we have a lot of podcasts about different episodes about you know business leadership. We had one uh, guest on. Um, Katie Romanello, and for her, she was talking about harnessing the power of the moon to make business decisions. Okay, well, follow me for a sec. So okay, if, I, yeah. if I invested time into having our team write content as an extended version of that podcast episode, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be so relevant to our audience of people that were looking that are looking for digital marketing yeah. services, right? Yeah. So you'd want to focus our efforts and allocate our efforts towards those key articles or topics that are relevant to what people are searching for to find us as a service. Correct. hundred percent. But if you're really early stage, do not be afraid to go a little bit out there. If you're in the social media management space, it's a very competitive space. For instance, um, if you try to hit Facebook ad cost as a key phrase right off the bat, you're going to struggle. Mm -hmm. If, however, you pivot just slightly off of what you really want to rank for and really want to be seen for and talk about a specific social media platform's image size guideline or you know, lower volume search terms like the role of video on LinkedIn, whatever, lower volume. Um, even if it's not 100% one you wanna talk about, that's okay because ranking for those low volume, lower KD pieces will help you rank for higher volume, higher KD pieces. If you start writing those immediately, you're gonna have a far harder time to ever get there. So start slow, start building momentum, even if it's not 100% where you're looking to go. And for those out there that don't know what KD is, it's not craft dinner. We're talking keyword difficulty. Real quick, guys. Are your messages on social media falling on deaf ears? Are you having trouble converting those leads from social media? Well, there's a better way to do it. 
and that is by use of a lead magnet, something that provides immense value to your target audience that's irresistible and they can't say no. The goal here is to get that contact information from your ideal clients off of social media so you can put them into a nurture sequence so they can know, like, and trust you. If this sounds of interest to you, we've done dozens and dozens and dozens of these type of campaigns for our clients and we can help you out as well. Head on over to merged.ca and book your discovery call today. M-E-R-G-E-D.ca. So, um, okay, I, I do want to uh, get to this question, and that's about the future of content marketing. Um, you know, with the emergence of uh, Jarvis slash Jasper AI and things like that for yeah. writing content, um, where do you see content marketing going in the next half decade, next five years? So, my gut instinct is so I've tried to view the AI. Let's talk really briefly about like the role of software in content creation. And I think AI is an interesting one. Um, Google is getting extremely good at identifying what thought leadership looks like and rewarding not just comprehensiveness of content, but also uh, engagement and page experience and all of the, the user experience side of, of content. Um, we've known for a long time that like things like bounce rate and time on page are important variables for SEO. I think that that is going to become more and more true. Since the page algorithm update, update in May, June, I think they're telling us the most important thing you can do is provide a good experience for the reader, whether through, ideally both, really high quality content, but also page design and blog design that aligns with that. As a result of that, I don't think that AI generated content is going to see a massive explosion, simply because by definition, it can't bring anything new to the table. It is it is getting pretty good, especially, and it will it, it will it will work within certain verticals. I think financial, vertical, medical, possibly, and B2C e-commerce, I think, where you can just plug in a directory of existing data and have it kind of take that into content, will, will. But in the B2B and SaaS space, I'm not seeing it as it's going, like, like it's going to explode because those verticals are changing constantly, what works there, what people recommending changes constantly. And being able to bring something new to the table to talk about is what seems to be getting rewarded, um, especially because the 10,000 word article doesn't really work anymore. Like that's bad page experience. And we're seeing those decline in the SERP across a few of our clients. Um, does that mean that AI doesn't have a role? Absolutely not. We use a number of different tools. I've mentioned a couple of them today um, to help us facilitate the content production process. And I think that's just going to become more and more a thing. Being able to see what the existing SERP is including in their articles, subject matter wise, key phrase wise, what their headers are, what data they're, they, they, they're getting in from where, and being able to pull that together and then add your own thought leadership on top of it to create a higher quality article is extremely helpful. And that's a tool like Phrase or ClearScope of Marketing User or any number of others, SEO Surfer, um, will enable you to do that. And that makes content creation really easy. So I think what we're seeing across the board, whenever software becomes a core component of a marketing strategy, we're seeing a um, kind of a leveling of the playing field because small businesses, these tools aren't massively expensive. Like they're really not. Phrase in particular, like, um, it enabled like like when we kind of democratized marketing automation, or when we democratized CRMs, you know, 
it allowed smaller businesses to take advantage of all of these quote unquote big brand enterprise level strategies like easily optimizing a piece of content. Um, there are tools that easily take content from Google Docs into, into your um, WordPress really at a snap. All those things that we think of as like only associated with enterprise level um, are coming to the masses essentially. And I think that that can only be a good thing for those businesses because no longer do you have to worry that you're wasting your time creating content that isn't going to rank and has no chance of ranking. You can know with software what you need to target and why, what you're missing out on opportunity cost, opportunity wise, market needs as a site audit for you, for instance, and then what to create and how to make it rank um, with tools that I've already mentioned. Um, so I would say adoption of those tools by every business is going to just improve the way content looks and hopefully will allow small businesses to compete a little bit more than they have for the past few years. I hope James, at least. Yeah, no, James, this has been awesome. And I know you got to run. You're a busy guy. You got a meeting coming up. But um, uh, how can our audience get in touch with you if they have any questions? Honestly, I'm fine. Man. I, James at codeless.io is my email address. I'm happy for people to email me and get in touch and see, you know, I'm happy, always happy to talk about this stuff. I love this. If I, if I could avoid the meeting, just talk to you about content shies for the rest of the day. Yeah, I would do it. We'll just have so, to have you back, James. Me. We'll have to have you back, right? <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, we end every episode with the same question. This question is this. If you can choose one person, dead or alive, to represent your brand, who would it be and why? To represent my brand. Oh, man. You know what, Mike? The first person that came to my head was Rayan Fishkin. Okay. Okay. That's I, awesome. I just he. The, I don't know. It's not about him. I've always liked Rand. and the whiteboard. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a Rand guy. Awesome. I'll be sharing the stage, the virtual stage with Rand at AdWorld coming up in May. So that's uh, nice. super exciting. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, James. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much, James. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Merged Marketing Podcast. I truly appreciate it and would love it if you went over to your podcast platform and gave us a subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, if you think the Merged Marketing Podcast is a good fit for somebody else, like your business partner or your spouse, just go on over and give this episode a share. I'd love it if you would share the wealth of knowledge and value that I'm bringing to you and share it to other people. That would be amazing. Again, thank you so much for listening. Don't settle for good. Be great. We'll see you soon.